Good afternoon, and welcome to Calvary's Way, a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. Calvary's Way, recorded live at Calvary Chapel, is a Bible study taught by Pastor Gib Allen. Today in our study of the book of Acts, we come to chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Here we see the amazing growth of the early church. In this passage of Scripture, we will see the four fundamentals of the balanced Christian life. Verse 42, where we left off last time. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Now, in that brief sentence, you have set forth the four fundamentals of the balanced Christian life after you become a Christian. You become a Christian by being related to Jesus Christ. He is the Lord of glory, and you become part of him And when, when you receive him into your heart. But what then? I mean, is that all there is to the Christian life? No, that's just the beginning. You have received Jesus Christ into your heart. Then you have begun the Christian life, but the whole of it lies ahead for you to now experience. And so after you've received Christ, that's the time to move on, to move out and to begin to experience this exciting and vital new life that God has given to you in Jesus Christ. Four things are necessary to have that balanced Christian life, and they are given to us in verse 42. And it is interesting that these four things are also necessary to have a balanced church. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. But notice first that it says, and they continued steadfastly. The Greek word proskartirio means to adhere to, means to hold on to something. It's like, like a super glue, sticking on to something and not letting go. And here it is a continuous sense of holding on. Holding on to these things are to be a way of life. They aren't just every once in a while things. They're to be things that we make a part of our regular lives. Some people, as you know, will try reading the Bible and praying, you know, maybe for a few weeks or a month or so, and, and then they quit when all of their problems haven't been solved. And these things aren't going to necessarily give you a quote-unquote overnight relief from all of your problems, but they are the things that will carry you for a lifetime. This is the balanced diet that makes for a healthy Christian. One of the keys to having a healthy body is to eat a balanced diet all of the time. We like to think that if we can eat healthy foods for maybe a month or two, then we're going to be healthy. But it is learning to do these things as a way of life that makes us healthy. So this is not a quick-fix program. It's not the quick-fix attitude that pervades our society today, that we don't care so much for what is right as much as what works attitude. You know, if you're having problems in your marriage and, it, and it's causing you some distress, our society says dump the marriage, dump your spouse. Not because it's right, but because it relieves the distress for the short term. Or if you have a hard time handling the pressures and the anxieties in your life, our society says take a drink or use drugs. Not because it's right, but because it helps you to forget your problems temporarily. But God is concerned that we establish healthy practices in our Christian life, practices that will carry us through the hard times as well as the good times. Four things are necessary to do that, and here's the first one. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. 
It is interesting how many people want to sort of shy away from the word doctrine. You know, they get saved and they say, well, you know, I just want to love Jesus, you know. Don't tell me anything about doctrine. I just want to love Jesus. But doctrine is not a dirty word. It's the Greek word didache. It means instruction. It means teaching. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Yet there is a growing tendency trend among believers. It's not overt, but it's tacit. The idea is you must spiritually decapitate yourself when you come to church, that you leave your brain outside the door. Never think because the mind is evil. It's what's in the heart that counts, but never the mind. And what happens with that kind of thinking is what the Apostle Paul told young Timothy would happen. 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 and 4, this is what he said. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. There are some who do not tolerate this devotion to the apostles' doctrine, to what we are doing here this morning. They don't like it. They won't tolerate it. They don't want sermons. They want sermonettes. Listen, sermonettes are for Christianettes. If you want to grow in the faith, you have to grow, as Peter said, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, you have to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John chapter 8, he said, you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. It's not knowledge, it's the ignorance of biblical truth that hurts us. As the Old Testament prophet said, my people perish for lack of what? Knowledge. One time talking to the Pharisees, Jesus said to them, he said, you err, not knowing the scriptures and the power of God. He says, what's the matter with you? Aren't you reading the scriptures? John Stott said this, the spirit of God leads the people of God to submit to the word of God. Listen to what Paul wrote to Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, 2. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. Not preach politics, not preach generic morality, not preach your opinions, preach the word. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. That is the church did. It's not that the apostles just devoted themselves to making good sermons and teachings. The church continued steadfastly. The church devoted themselves. Yes, there is a need for spirit-anointed teaching. But there is also a great need today for spirit-anointed listening. Listening, where you come with your ears and your heart open to learn and to act. They continued steadfastly in that. You see, the early church didn't just dabble in the word. They devoured the word. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' teachings. So, the first fundamental of a balanced Christian life, of a balanced church, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. How about you? 
Do you devote yourself to the Word of God? I mean, do you read it? Do you bring it to church? Do you read it every day? Do you try to take as many notes as you can so that you can learn to understand it and apply it to your life? Is it something that you devote yourself to? Peter said, as we read earlier in our scripture reading in 1 Peter chapter 2, he said, As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. A Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to a person who isn't. Now, the second thing we need to have a balanced Christian life is to devote ourselves to fellowship. And they continued steadfastly in the Apostles' Doctrine and fellowship. What is fellowship? We often think of fellowships as going to lunch together or having potlucks or discussion groups or trips to Baskin Robbins or Dairy Queen or somewhere. But the Greek word koinonia has the idea of association, of communion, fellowship, participation, to share in something. We share the same Lord Jesus. We share the same guide for life. We share the same love for God. We share the same desire to worship Him. We share the same struggles. We share the same victories. We share the same job of living for Him. We share the same joy of communicating the gospel to others. The fellowship wrought by the Holy Spirit of God means more than the association that exists in secular groups such as civic clubs and community bodies. There is a vast difference between community participation and spiritual participation. Community participation is based upon neighborly association. Spiritual participation is based upon a spiritual, a spiritual union brought by the Spirit of God. The distinctiveness is this. If you are a born-again believer, the Holy Spirit is on the inside of you. The Holy Spirit indwells you. And the Holy Spirit creates a spiritual union by melting and molding your heart to the hearts of other believers. He attaches the life of one believer to the lives of another believer. Through the Spirit of God, believers become one in life and purpose. Which means fellowship forbids an unattached Christian life. Did you hear that? Fellowship forbids an unattached Christian life. A group of men were talking together one day, and one of them asked the minister in the group, he said, Pastor, he said, do you have to join a church or a fellowship to go to heaven? And the pastor said, no, of course not. And the man sort of patted him on the back for his broad-mindedness and congratulated him for his answer. And then the pastor said, but let me ask you a question. Will you answer it? He said, yes, I will. And... The pastor said, why would you want to go to heaven that way? That's a good question. Why would a man want to go to heaven when he does not like to associate himself with the people of God in the world? We must remember that in heaven we're going to be with each other and with our Lord. We will sing the songs of praise, magnifying God with our worship and love one another forever and ever. Why would anyone want to go to heaven and leave out of his life the koinonia, the fellowship? Fellowship forbids an unattached Christian life. Yes, Christianity is first an individual matter, but then it becomes a social matter. The Christian is attached to Christ individually, but he is also attached to other believers. 
Christianity is first a spiritual organism, but then it becomes a spiritual organization. The Christian has an inward life, but he also takes on an outward form of life. He becomes a living organization with other believers. God has designed that his life should be manifest through a body. If the body is not operating, then the life is not manifest, you see? And that means that there is no power, because the life of God is always power. And one of the reasons that churches are so powerless today, many of them, is because on the inside of that church they have been fragmented and they have been broken, and they have estranged themselves from each other. In Ephesians 4 and verse 30, the Apostle Paul said this, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And then he lists the things that grieve him. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. If that is not happening, then the Spirit of God is grieved, and when He is grieved, He does not act. There is no life. And then the church becomes dull and dead and sterile and mediocre. And all of this is then just manifest in an empty ritual with no vitality to it. God intends that Christians should have koinonia, fellowship, should share one another's lives and thoughts and problems, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. It is not an option. It is an essential. That is why when the Holy Spirit of God begins to move in any congregation, He starts at this point. He begins to heal the brokenness of their lives and their relationships one with another, to get them to admit to each other their hatred and their malice and their anger and their frustrations and their grudges, and to begin to forgive one another. This is when life begins to flow once again through the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they continued steadfastly. They held on to the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. Listen, fellowship can never, ever be done alone. Don't be a John Wayne Christian. Don't be the pioneer type. You know, I don't need anybody else. I'll come and I'll just listen to the Word of God, and then I'm out of there as soon as it's over. I'll never get involved in anything in the church. I'll never serve in the church. I'll never go to the home fellowships. I'll never go to the men's or the women's or the singles or anything they've got going, because after all, that's vulnerable, and I would have to be accountable, and I just want to be a spectator. Listen, that's not the early church. They devoted themselves to fellowship. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. And thirdly, they continued steadfastly in the breaking of bread. The third fundamental of a balanced Christian life and a balanced church. Now the phrase breaking of bread doesn't mean that they had lunch together. It means the early believers observed and remembered the Lord's death. They set aside some time to observe what churches call either communion or the Lord's table or the Lord's supper or the Eucharist. Now, communion is so important because communion always helps us keep the main thing the main thing. 
They were devoted to this. They held on to this. They continued steadfastly in it. Why? Because the Lord's Supper was the one ordinance that Christ had given to symbolize his death. And it was his death that had saved them. Because of his death, they were now reconciled to God. They were in fellowship with God. They had been made new creations in God. They were infilled with the Spirit of God, and they were bearing the fruit of God. You see, all they now were and had was due to the death of Jesus Christ. And they wanted to remember and thank God for his great love demonstrated in the death of his son and to do it often. Even living so close to the time when Jesus was crucified, they still never wanted to forget it. And how much more should we? Then it says that they also gave themselves to prayer. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Prayer is what completes the cycle of a balanced Christian life and a balanced church. God speaks to us through his word, the apostles' doctrine. We reach out then in love and in fellowship to one another. We keep our foundation on the main thing, and then prayer completes the cycle as we pour our hearts out to God in prayer. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Now from Greek, the translation into English is in the prayers. There is private prayer, family prayer, but there is also stated and public prayer. When the congregation comes together, we pray as an assembly of God's people, continuing steadfastly in the prayers. And it pleases God that we bow, that we pray, that we ask, that we talk to Him as our Father. We go further on our knees than any other way, retreating to advance, falling to rise, stooping to conquer. Oh, the fellowship that we have with God in intercession. The prayerlessness of many people is an astonishment to me. The prayerlessness of my own life is an astonishment to me and is a rebuke to me. You see, there is no unction without it. There is no ability without it. There is no converting without it. But there is no limit to the power of the Spirit of God to work with us if we will just pray and wait upon Him. Are you bored in terms of what you do in the church? Then get involved in prayer. Travel around the world in prayer. I mean, tomorrow you could wake up and go to China and pray for all of the tribes of China. The next day you could pray for Costa Rica. The next day you could pray for Russia. I mean, you could travel the world. Get involved in prayer. Come to our Saturday night hour of prayer. Join the prayer chain. Start devoting yourself to looking outside of yourself to the needs of others. And then as you start to hear the praise reports come back to you, I mean, they'll start saying, thank you for praying for me because this happened and that happened. And then the boredom will flee away. You will get so excited because you will see that God is answering those prayers. The church marches on its knees, 
No significant work of God is ever done without prayer. Jesus said, I will build my church. He didn't say, you build my church, but he said, I'll do it. And so we need to continually consult the architect, the builder, continually asking him what he wants us to do. How about you? Do you have a group that you pray with? Do you have people that you regularly pray for? More than just pass the potatoes, pass the meat, good Lord, let's eat, amen? I mean, do you have something where you have a devotion to prayer? They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayer. Verse 43. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. This was a time of incredible things happening, and the people were beginning to see God work. And it seems that whenever God works in a very powerful way, one of the results is a good, healthy fear, a sense of total awe and God's presence. Verse 44. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all, as anyone had need. Now, is this what God wants us to do now? What they did then? To sell everything that we have and divide it together and live together communally? You know, some people have said that the early believers were communists. No, the early believers were not communists. They were communists. And there's a big difference. Communism says, what's yours is mine. Communism says, what's mine is yours. You see, what happened was this. On the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people got saved in one day. 3,000 people who had come from all over the world to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. Following their conversion, they sensed the need to remain in Jerusalem in order that they might be grounded in their newfound faith. There was nowhere else to go in all of the world. It was only there in Jerusalem. But what were they to do? I mean, they couldn't jump on a 747, fly back home, get their stuff and come back and live there. You see, the early church didn't arbitrarily say, hey, you know, this is really a good idea. Why don't we do this? Why don't we sell everything and just live together and just hang out together? No, the believers in Jerusalem pooled whatever resources they had for the express purpose of allowing the new believers to remain in Jerusalem rather than having to return to the lands where they were living, where they came from, without any grounding in the Word of God. Now, it could be that we may very well see Christians living communally again, but it won't happen because someone says, hey, man, this is a good idea. Why don't we do this? If persecution was to fall upon this country, which it may, if the economy was to collapse, which it might, if things really got tough, which it could, you will be amazed how quickly and how beautifully the church will come together communally. But until then, it is not God's plan for us. Verse 46. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. 
Now keep in mind at this point, the church is composed completely of Jews who now believe that Jesus is their Messiah. And so one of the places that they regularly gathered together was the most logical for a Jew at that time. They met at the temple. And it seems that a favorite place for the church to meet at the temple was a place known as Solomon's Porch. We'll see that come up as we go through the book of Acts. This was thought to be one of the locations in the outer court of the Gentiles. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. They had continual worship. You see, they just continued to stoke the fires of their faith. And when we continue to stoke the fires of our faith with the right fuel, we'll find ourselves worshiping and praising God. Our walk with the Lord is like keeping the steam engine in a train running. I mean, you can stop shoveling the fuel into the burner if you want to, and the train will run fine for a while. But eventually it slows down, begins to chug, and then finally it stops. We need to keep shoveling the fuel into the fire. What fuel? God's Word, the Apostles' Doctrine, fellowship, communion, and prayer. And if we do, then we will see the fires of worship stay hot. And then it says, And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. What we see here is God's prescription for church growth. If we take care to follow the example of Acts 2, 42 through 47, in our personal lives and in the church, God will take care of growing the church himself. Look at the mathematics of verse 47. If the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved, a minimum would be one a day. And a minimum in the course of one year would be 365. And there are very few churches in the world today who add as many as 300 people a year. You see, when the church was what God wanted the church to be, then God did for the church what he was wanting to do. They concentrated on growing depth and integrity and teaching and solidity in the body of Christ. And God loves to add to those churches who keep the right priorities, who keep the right balance, both personally and corporately. We hope you have enjoyed today's edition of Calvary's Way with Gib Allen. Thanks again for listening, and we do hope you will join us again tomorrow as Pastor Gib teaches and we learn to walk Calvary's Way.